0: Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Dylan Conrad. Welcome to the podcast, Dylan.
1: Thank you. It's really great to be here. I'm very excited.
0: Um, Just to give you a background of what we're going to talk about, um, Dylan is a return missionary. He's 30 years old. He's married, has two little boys, lives in Orem, got a degree in criminal justice, and has a job in that general field. Dylan's story is about a straight man that has some body shame because his male body doesn't measure up to other male bodies. And um, that's probably something a lot of us have, uh, male and female. And that doesn't mean um, that someone then is attracted because they admire um, the same gender body and things in that body that an individual person doesn't have. But Dylan's just going to—he's the first guy that's been willing to kind of talk about this and— and I think it's good for all of our listeners that perhaps feel that their body doesn't measure up to the ideal same-gender body in society and having to work through that and how Dylan worked through that. And um, I, th- I would assume men and women uh, experience this as part of our society and our comparative society. So that'll be a big focus of the podcast. And, and Dylan's interests weren't typical guy interests growing up. Um, and some of you listeners may be guys or gals that don't have typical interests for your gender, and I think one of the things Dylan's going to talk about that is just how he navigated that, and and perhaps just help more of us feel comfortable in our skin after hearing, hearing Dylan's story. Um, Dylan offered a great prayer before we started. He and his wife live in Utah County. We'll probably talk about his mission in Houston, Texas, um, some of the experiences he had there. Um, So those are kind of the two areas of the podcast for our listeners, what we're going to dive into. We don't have any sponsors. I listen to other podcasts, and I realize there's a lot of announcements sometimes and sponsors and reminders of future events. But we kind of skip all that because we want our guests like Dylan to be able to share his story. So anything you need to correct in anything I've said so far?
1: No, no, that all sounds really good.
0: And Dylan has a unique spelling of his name. So when you're (laughs) hearing Dylan... Um, D-I-L-L-A-N is his spelling, and Conrad is C-O-N-R-A-D. But bring us to like age 13, 14, 15. When did you first start kind of picking up that you saw things in other boys or other men that you didn't physically have and just kind of the tension?
1: Yeah, for sure. Thank you. So it really, I had a, a background in theater and performing, so that was something that I was really interested in. Getting in front of a stage and performing in front of people, and I went to a a week long camp at BYU called Yazi. It was for young ambassadors, and they would teach us different things while we were there. And I remember kind of getting to know the group, and there were girls and guys, and they were all talking about their interests and things and um, what they. Uh, w- one of the questions that came up was, you know, what do you, you know, what what do you like about, you know what what are you into when it comes to guys? Like what, what are the things that, that turn you on basically? And one of the girls was like, I just love guys that have like really broad shoulders and you know, facial hair just has to be perfect. Like just that five o'clock shadow and tall, dark and handsome. And I'm sitting here as this 13, 14 year old kid. Who's like probably 110 pounds, five foot one, maybe just like, what? am I going to do? <laughs> because yeah, I was only 13 or 14, but there were people in my group, even in the the dorm area that I stayed with that basically already fit that kind of physicality description. They were a little bit older. Maybe there were kids there that were about eight, 17 years old, but it just didn't seem like that was the, the path that I was headed to. Um, and that really just hit me. And I remember like some of the counselors at the camp that were you know, teaching us the dancing and the, and the theater and everything, they were just so fit and so tall and dark and handsome. And I was just like, this is, uh, I, I don't know why this decided to hit me like on this week excursion away from my parents and just kind of like feeling less than physically. I never really came up so much in like social circles in junior high, um, at, actually at school, which is where you're kind of supposed to feel like those the bullying and the prime suffering of going to junior high. And if you're smaller, I think though with my story is I was able to kind of get ahead of that because I was very outgoing. I was very open to talking with, you know, friends and, and, and being in groups of people. So people didn't really see me as a a victim. Um, not anything wrong, you know, that, you know, victim shaming, but like, I didn't want to put myself in that category because I knew who I was physically. And so I think being able to be popular in a different way, just being open to speaking with friends and, and, and performing and being larger than life kind of helped me navigate away from possibly like being, you know, the, the jocks, you know, punching bag or whatever. I never had to deal with any of that in the school, honestly, like it was, it was very, very all, all of the, all the bullying, all of the shame came from myself. And the catalyst though, was definitely related to the culture I chose to grow up in, which was very much centered in movies, Hollywood, Oscar night, awards, red carpet, music, pop artists, um, beautiful, beautiful people, whether it's natural beauty, makeup, plastic surgery, anything. I was so, so, so into Britney Spears when I was younger. I thought she was the most beautiful girl I had ever seen. She just, her smile, everything about her was was perfect. And I had no shame in telling people when I was 13, 14 years old that not only do I think she's absolutely gorgeous, but I love her music. I would buy her CDs. I remember going to a birthday party um, You know, it was my birthday party. It was at Classic Skating in Orem. And my friends, they had like people, everyone knew who, like, knew what I liked and, and they didn't care. And I got Britney Spears posters for my birthday when I was like 14 years old, maybe a little bit younger. Um, And I literally got two Britney Spears posters that were exactly the same. Um, And then I got another one from someone else that was different. But the two that were exactly the same, my parents were like, well, do you want to like go and exchange it for something else? And I'm like, nope, I'm gonna put this one on my ceiling. you know, like the stereotypical like put the poster up there, look up it, you know, from your bed. Britney spears was I mean, I'm just gonna use the word she was hot. like I was very much into that type of girl, um, and I would watch music videos and everything and, but it, but it came to a point where like I started to to recognize that, okay. I think she's beautiful, but I'm also a a guy that listens to her music and buys her CDs and it's all very girl centered and very feminine. And that kind of just hit me as like, I don't think that I, I fit into the stereotypical male. I don't, I don't play sports. I don't like hanging out with guys. I like hanging out with girls, you know, to be perfectly frank, I was kissing girls as young as like 12 years old and we're not talking like you know pecs on the cheek we're talking like parents calling my you know my parents and being like Dylan needs to stay away from my daughter this is getting out of hand and I remember like my mom you know when I came home from school she was like Dylan I have your father on the phone and he needs to talk to you about something and I got on the phone and I was like hey dad and he's like hey I heard that like you uh, were kissing a girl from our ward what was all out about and I'm like oh well He's like, just just make sure mom's out of the room. And then as soon as she left, she was he was just like, That's my boy. <laughs> but um, it was just like, I I don't know, I I I was really able to just fit in to who I was and live my truth, which was I was a male who was attracted to women, who liked hanging out with women, who liked doing all the things that women like to do. Um, related to music and movies, and more just fun things that weren't sports and weren't. Did weren't you try being... to?
0: Did you try to fit into the stereotypic male world as a high school kid in Utah County? Did you try to do sports, um, or did you just own who you were? Or who Never. You the
1: The only time that I did sports was when I would like go on like scout excursions, like camping trips either overnight or like a week long. And we would play like two touch football. And I it was I was pretty dang fast. I was I picked up on things quite a lot. But there is a difference between like someone who is not good at sport and someone who literally has no interest at all. Now maybe, maybe if I had the build that I wanted to have when I was younger or even now um, and I maybe felt more connected to like the jock group, it'd be something I'd want to pursue, but that was never in the cards for me ever.
0: And so you've got a couple of things going on here. You've recognized your interests are different than other men. And you also recognize, um, back to this first experience you've had when this woman described the ideal man, you're not the ideal man. (laughs) None of us are, I guess, um, except maybe the one half of 1%. (laughs) Talk about just some of that. What were the things about you that you felt shame about? So
1: when I was younger, it was mostly related to height and weight because every time I go to the doctor, the pediatrician, it was like, oh, Dylan's like in this percentage. And definitely like we could get him on like, you know, pediasure. He you could like get a little bit bigger. Obviously the height things aren't really going to be able to be changed too much. Um, so that was the height and weight were a big thing, but also I just, I had a, I, I still do. You're looking at me right now. I have a baby face. I look young. I really do. I'm, I'm 30. Um, I have a wife and two boys, but I, people think I'm like, now that I like talk about having kids and stuff, I I get bumped up like another, like three or four years, but we're still like, you sure you're not 23. You know, you're sure it used to be 18, even like a year after my mission, you know, when I was 22, but no, it was like, I really do look young. And so
0: and is that just a lack of facial hair or were there other reasons you felt you looked young?
1: You know, I have a younger brother who for all intents and purposes is like someone who I look up to physically. We're not the best of friends. We could always be better. Um, we didn't really share the same interests. We still don't share the same interests, but we're getting better as far as like now that we're adults, we can communicate about things. Um, but I always saw him as superior to me and that's why I always viewed him as inferior because I didn't I I was I was so jealous of him jealous of him hanging out with my dad and fixing cars and and getting more you know vascularity in his arms and getting buffer but still staying really skinny and not gaining any weight and I was like if I ate too much for dinner like I'd start to see it like in my face and in my stomach and I was like I don't I don't I don't like this like I just, I didn't want to be the kid who's like not only short, but a little bit chubby, no facial hair, nothing to like really what girl's going to want that, you know, like oh, I have a shining personality and I'm so, you know, magnetic with my entering the room and being so, you know, extroverted, but it wasn't enough for me. No way.
0: um. Uh, on behalf of our listeners, just thanks for being so honest. It takes a bit of courage just to talk like this about yourself, and it's a sign of great strength, in my opinion. It's um, a sign of vulnerability. It's a sign of being real. And thanks for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. I. It's so. Did you think you were? Because sometimes society has these stereotypes that um, I don't. That you know, if you just because of interest or because of this, you're gay. Um, did you think you were gay in high school? No, or junior high? No, I never. That really never came across. Because you're not in a my sports thoughts. guy, and you're admiring guys, so those are kind of two things that, if you shared broadly, some people might conclude, "Hey, that's somebody who's gay." Yeah, I didn't think
1: about that when I was even that age in high school. Um, we didn't have social media at that time. Um, we didn't have our cell phones couldn't access the internet at any time to look at articles from Buzzfeed or Huffington post or whatever, you know, we're looking at nowadays when it comes to culture and stuff. And I, uh, just never thought about it. It was just always living who I was, um, loving pop music. I just, I, I just love music, all kinds. And my, some of my favorite music, that's not just pop music is like movie scores and just being swept away by like all different kinds of orchestrations from different composers and I know so much my parents every family member every friend that I know can like attest to the fact that Dylan is the movie critic. Dylan knows everything about movies, who directed what, why it's rated for what it is, who composed, who directed, who's the DP, when it came out, movie actor, movie actor, everything. 6 degrees of Kevin Bacon, I'll give you 15, you know, like I it's just it's I, I've always had a brain where if I have interest in something, it's immediately absorbed and it doesn't go away ever. It, it, I can't forget stuff like that when it comes to like math and sports or whatever. I'm just like, um, what? I didn't, I didn't learn that. I have no idea what you're talking about, but like when it comes to movies, especially like it just, it envelops my entire being, It's just and it, it's very superficial, but to me, it's, it, it's so much more important because I feel like arts and entertainment are a way to be able to express who we are and, so many life lessons I've learned watching movies about people that have done great things, whether it's like, even like an LDS movie, like we watched the fighting preacher a few months ago and it was amazing. It was so good. And then my favorite movie of all time that I've you know been able to, to put that seal of approval is Joker. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was a great film. I love movies as an escape from reality. And it's just, it's worried my mom more than my dad. My dad just he knows who I am. He knows what I am about as far as my convictions and and who I am, but my mom, she uh she gets a little bit more you know concerned about me being so involved in the the cesspool of Hollywood, if you will.
0: Did people ask you if you were gay because you didn't fit in the normal stereotype? No. Okay. Honestly, <laughs>
1: I, I've, I never had it in school. I've never, I honestly never even had it. I've, I've never been approached. I'm going to go ahead and go on, you know, of course there's people that have talked about it behind my back, of course, but no one's ever come to me and like, why don't you just tell us like, you're, you're very different. So like what's going on? But I, I had girlfriends all throughout junior high. I remember being um, a seventh grader and I was in a play about the Wizard of Oz, but it wasn't, it was like a knockoff because junior high doesn't have the budget for like the actual Wizard of Oz. And I remember meeting this girl in my cast who was two years older than me. And um, we would talk about things and I thought she was really cute. And um, I don't know what she saw in me because I was seventh grader who was seriously like four foot 11 and weighed like a hundred pounds. And I remember we were like, there was a little hallway that um joined the stage from the, the auditorium. And she uh, kind of like Put me up against the wall and gave me the like a really good kiss, and she's like, Don't tell a soul <laughs> and then for for like the last like couple of like days in in the play, we would just be making out like in the choir room or whatever um and i I think that maybe would have been the thing where it's like it kind of like put a stop to um any of the rumors like out loud because I'd be walking in the halls with girls holding their hands. I was very much physically involved in girls as young as seventh grade.
0: And for our listeners, obviously, I wouldn't normally press somebody like this. But since we talk about LGBTQ so much on this topic, on this podcast, um, I am asking Dylan some questions I wouldn't normally ask anybody in real life. So, um, But I, I think the point I think we're both trying to share is that um, we sometimes create stereotypes in our culture about um, – uh, who a gay person is and what his or her interests are and what a straight person is and what his or her interests are. Or, and the, and I think that, you know, and, if we, and I think a lot of our listeners understand this better than I do. If we go throughout history, um, sometimes there's less stereotypic cultural norms that allow just people to be who they are without having to fit into a certain narrative. And so Dylan is someone... Mm-hmm. Um, I'm speaking for him now, that doesn't fit into just a typical narrative. Um, but I have to think Heavenly Father is up there, um, created Dylan the way he's supposed to be for a very unique reason. It has very unique gifts and and attributes and contributions to society, and I'm assuming that's part of the reason his wife, Brianne, fell in love with him. Um, Absolutely. Thank and you. And I like that Dylan's kind of owning who he is and I think it's a sign of confidence that if we are not just the typical stereotypic, I'm using that, That's use that twice in a row, that we are afraid to own that because we're so, we want to fit in. Fitting in, I use this quote a lot, is a, fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming somebody who we think we need to be. Belonging doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. So when I see somebody like Dylan, I want Dylan to be Dylan. Cause I think that's who God created and has unique interests and attributes and, and will contribute on his mission in a unique way and in his life in a unique way. Is any thoughts on that? I did have
1: one thing to say, um, about what you were talking about related to fitting in, because I had a, a friend from a previous job that I had conversations with that, um, is a male who I, and I want to be really clear in, especially with my mission, um, my mission turned me into an introvert, especially when it came came to men. Um, I do not trust men as much as women. And it takes a lot for me to have a male friend. And I have a really good male friend who I, um, from a previous job, who's no longer, we're not, we're no longer working together. But he had talked about when he was younger that he um he kind of experienced a lot of the same things that I experienced with like having an, a non-stereotypical non-stereotyp- like male interest. And one of the things he talked about was he, he always, he was very excited for the Spice Girls movie to come out. And I had told him I'd seen that so many times with my friend from fourth grade who actually, that was another of another friend who was a boy who I trusted in and the culture that we grew up in and what we talked about and what we listened to was very much in line. And to be honest, um, I, I, I'm not entirely sure um, because I haven't really had a conversation with him specifically about this, but I believe that this um, friend from fourth grade when I was younger is gay. And, um, but my friend from my old job, he was talking about how he really wanted to see the Spice Girls movie. And he was bugging his parents. They were like at the mall one day and it was coming out and there was a poster, you know, at the marquee. And he's like, let's go see it. And finally his dad was like, okay, we will you stupid girl. And he told me that story and I I was like, Hey man, I think we need to unpack this. And he's like, no, (laughs) we're not doing that. He's like, I went home and I tore up my Spice Girls posters and I started to, I think he said like the minute, like he tore them up, he started to like buy like a weight set and like a basketball. And I was like, my parents never, ever would have done that ever. And, and I, I thank God for that because I don't. Who my friend is today is uh, he's amazing. I I look up to him in every way, but you have to live your truth. And I don't think parents should be able to have that dominion over how their kids experience life. And, And it may have been him being really annoying that day about wanting to see this movie and like maybe there wasn't a time in the schedule, but his dad just snapped. And I I just, I, I heard that story and I was like, we, we, need to, we need to talk about this. But there was no talking about it because it was something that he had moved on from. And I never experienced that before. So I wanted to unpack that, but that was just something I never had to deal with.
0: That's a great story. And I probably made that mistake as a parent sometimes. And I think when parents do that, it's often a reflection on them um, and their expectations for a kid or what they think. And so I think that was... Somehow what he was worried about or what he felt and and how that was really a difficult moment for your friend and um, and not a healthy growing moment and a fitting in moment versus being able to belong. Um, so that's a great that's a great insight. I had a question that came to mind, but it's gone. <laughs> I want to go back to being an introvert. So here you are, your mission, um, you're with men, but you're you trust women more. Just talk about that.
1: Well, I never wanted to go on a mission. Surprise. (laughs) I knew that missions involved being with men 24-7 and P-Day involved basketball or some other sport. And it sounds so trivial, like you don't want to go on a mission because you don't want to play sports. Like this is like two years of your life to the gospel. I have no problem with that. Bring it on. But as soon as you get me in an apartment with four different guys or five different guys or whatever, I it's going to be bad. I just, I won't, I won't fit in. I won't feel well. I will. I I just, it was so hard.
0: Um, and you knew that before you were you left.
1: Yeah, I absolutely did. And I got the MTC. I
0: did.
1: I I went against, uh, I don't know if I can say I went against my better judgment, but I went in the MTC and I the 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 cry room, as they call it, when parents, you know, say goodbye after God be with you till we meet again, I felt very much like I had to be there. I felt the spirit very strong. Um, and I remember the night of the MTC, we had a, uh, kind of off topic of my experience, but we had a, a little interview with a, a priesthood leader at the MTC. And he asked me a specific question about, um, chastity related to um, what you are allowed to do with members of the opposite sex versus what you're not allowed to do and have you done any of this stuff and I looked at him and I said nope but I definitely had and I remember the next day where I was like talking to my MTC companion and I'm like what, about, what did you think about that question that you got like from the priesthood leader and he's like I didn't get that question Elder Conrad and I'm like uh-huh okay that's cool so I went throughout the MTC feeling a little bit of guilt and that I hadn't repented fully of the things that I had done previous to my mission quite recently before my mission, honestly. Um, So when I got to Houston, I had a wonderful mission president who I had for one transfer. um, And I, one of our uh, zone conferences was about how truth is our only zone conference actually together was truth is a knowledge of things that have been are and always will be. And that's always going to stick with me. You know, theories and philosophies are, are, you know, things that are, that have not are not, and won't always be, but truth will stand forever. Um, And I remember just feeling very comfortable with With all of that, especially because when I you know when I forgot to Houston, I was put in the Woodlands, which was a an area where you were living with members, and it was amazing. I got to meet a great family who I was able to talk to like a mom and dad um, but I always thought about when they would leave the house like, "Oh, now I have to be with my companion, and I don't want to do this and it I, I got so much anxiety, and it was just because I never communicated and fit in with men. And my trainer was from Spain. It was very different. He didn't, English wasn't his, his first language. And so it was a little bit different, but then it was Calder Connor when, when we have P-Day, we're gonna go to Meyer Park and we're gonna play soccer. And I'm like, you're gonna play soccer. I'm gonna go stand against, you know, over by that tree and write letters. Cause I thought on P-Day, that's what you did is you wrote letters, but we had no time for that because everything was about sports. And I actually, on my, one of my first P days, I remember, um, being by myself, or I thought I was, you know, off on the sidelines, people were playing soccer and I met a missionary who is gay. And I didn't know that at the time. Um, he's since come out. Um, and we clicked instantly about interests, things that we like to do before, you know, we went on our missions things that we're struggling with as far as like not wanting to be out there playing soccer and it was just so interesting to be able to have that tender mercy of someone who I could just talk to and be like, I don't know how I'm gonna do <laughs> for a whole two years how this is gonna how this is gonna work. But I, I mean it worked. Um it was really hard. It really was. Um when I got to my second area and I uh was in an apartment with missionaries there were just so many conversations related to inappropriate things that I would never have expected, but kind of always in the back of my mind thought, yeah, this is how it's going to be. It's going to be like high school. It's going to be just as dramatic, just as, just as much, you know, gossip and, and backbiting about certain things and, and talking about really inappropriate men things, you know? And I remember writing letter, an email to my family about three weeks into the second area, and it just hit me like a Mack truck. I had this entire letter filled out and the spirit just said, delete it and tell them that you have to repent of what you did and you'll probably be coming home. And I was like, no, no, I'm not doing that. And I just, I kept going. I kept hitting delete and I was like, no, that's my whole letter. Like it's going away. And then I literally just said, Hey, I have some things I need to talk to my mission president about things that I did not own up to in the bishops interview, state president interview, MTC I might be coming home. I'll keep you posted. Send. Oh boy. I'm sure as soon as my mom got that, she was just like beside herself. I talked to my mission president who was this, my second mission president and surprise, like I, I don't think it's like a really big surprise when it comes to like, if you actually do utilize the, the atonement of Jesus Christ, I don't think unless it's something very, very bad, maybe on the mission, they're not going to send you home. You're, you're, you're able to recognize that you need the spirit to teach and you need to be able to repent and change. And if you do that, they're going to want to have you as a, as a missionary who can are proclaim you, the gospel, who had those experiences. Are you glad
0: you told your mission present? Yes, absolutely. Do you wish you'd told your bishop or stake present before you left? I don't know. I
1: think I really believe that my experiences are my experiences and the things that I choose to do, I did them. And that's why I did them.
0: I'm okay with that answer. I mean, I would invite, I think our listeners know I'm pretty traditional believing guy. I would invite everybody to be clean before they go on their mission. But I recognize that the reality is some don't. (laughs) And then they've got to work through like you did, Elder Conrad, and I love the way you... You had the guts to just tell your parents and own up to your mission prison, and I think that significantly helped the rest of your mission. And you were faced with the reality, I may go home, Um, and and it's hard to know exactly what's going to send you home or not. We don't really have, I mean, I think some things we'd know you'd get sent home for that happen before your mission, and some are kind of gray areas, so it sounds like that's where that was. Um, let's go back um, as a tangent. We're going to talk about your first mission president, President sister, um, Steward. Um, and yeah, you didn't know them because they were just there for one transfer, and you don't hang out with the mission president. And, um, but they were on a podcast that you listened to, um, President Steward, mission president in Houston, and we did a podcast that has about 20,000 listens. He's since come out as gay, and his wife and him were on a podcast together, and And um, you listen to that podcast, he's active in the church, committed to his marriage, but sort of had the guts to share his story with people. And that story has been, you know, just helped so many people. I had a woman in my ward last Sunday. I think it's the first time she's ever heard a story from an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint, and she just had tears in her eyes. She never had understood what it was like, and... And to hear a mission president with that spiritual maturity and his wife talk about that was very helpful for her and then I think it creates just more understanding for all lgbtq latter day saints and you're thirty, so you understand this space better than I do at fifty eight and um just because of you know um your experience in this space with other lgbtq but just tell us as you listen to that podcast, what were your reactions?
1: I would give anything for certain family members of mine to I've, I've recommended it, um, to listen to this. I mean, I gotta be honest, like it's two and a half hours. So prepare (laughs) yourselves, take it in chunks. I don't know, but you have to listen to the whole thing. Travis and Margaret are amazing people. And I, and I also, another thing about living my truth is like, I do refer to them now as Travis and Margaret because it just, it just feels more, personal to me and, I think and my mission okay is just done that. and yeah, I think they can handle that. exactly. Um, and I just, his story is inspiring because he, f- he finally was able to live his truth. And it, it hit me when I had that zone conference with him. If, if truth is a knowledge of things that have been are and always will be at that moment in time, he was not living his truth the way that he wanted to, I believe, and to be able to understand that and to 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 figure out what that must have been like because i mean Travis, according to the podcast and, and what I understand is he'd been dealing with this pretty much his whole life, um experiencing these things and 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 tr- of course at some points in his life trying to fight them because this isn't in line with what you know typical mormon Doctrine is or what what I'm being taught at church or anything. So I just I I would give anything not only for my family to listen, but to be able to go back and I mean, I remember getting to the stewards home in Houston and having my first official president interview. And again, everything happened the way it needed to happen. But just to be able to like it would have been it would have been incredible to just have him be like, hey, so I'm your president for the mission, but I have this secret that like, I mean, it wouldn't have to be for me, but like, just, I, I, I don't know. I probably at that time I would have been like a little bit like what, like, this is not like, cause you don't think about those things. But I I mean, the, what, what I came to, um, understand with, with Travis is we, my, my wife and I were watching a YouTube video um, and it was a recommended one related to North star and they were singing, I'm a child of God. And there were different vignettes of people singing different pieces of the verses. And this man showed up in one of the, in one of the verses. And I was like, my brain was like, you know who that is? And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know who that is. It'd been almost, it'd been 10 years. And and then it just clicked. Like, that's, that was your, that was your mission president. And I, I just, I typed in, it's ridiculous, but I typed in like in Google, like Travis Stewart, LGBT, like what, what's going on. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like I had no idea. And I, I had no idea this has been happening for like, you know, he, he, he had been out for, I, I would guess about two years. And I just I've been off of social media for many years. I only just barely got on social media again after going to a funeral in Houston and reconnecting with people from my mission. And just, I only use it for like communicating with people I can't on a daily basis. I don't use it for like posting stuff to my wall or getting political or any of those like weird inspirational quotes. I don't care about that stuff. I just want to be able to communicate with people that I can't. And Facebook's a great thing for that. And so I've added him as a friend, and we've communicated about certain things, and he he's aware of a few of the things that we're talking about on the podcast tonight. But I do have to be honest in in saying that like, I don't know the stewards as much as i I want to like in in the future, definitely we want to be able to get together and 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 openly discuss things, and maybe not everything will be organic and flowing, and we'll just be great friends. But it's something very special to me to know that like I had a mission president, even for one transfer. I was called the Houston, Texas. And he's, he's in Provo, I'm in Orem, and he is gay. And I am very, um, I guess the word is accepting of that that kind of stuff. And I, I want to talk to him and I want to gain understanding and I want to be his friend.
0: Would you send your sons to a mission at a gay mission prison? 100% yes.
1: And I, I think in the future, I would hope in the future, I don't know if we have it right now, I don't think so, but in the future, there are going to be mission presidents that are already out, and then they're called. Absolutely.
0: And tell any thoughts about Sister
1: Stewart. Just hearing her story about being there for the man that she loves through whatever, especially when she was talking about um, hanging out with friends, and and they're, I guess, trying to be helpful in the situation. Margaret, what if what if he does something and Margaret's response is perfect. It's like what if you do something? What if I do something? Like what what is this what is this thing where we are automatically have gay, straight, everything's about sex, everything's about who we sleep with. Why 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 is that? We contain multitudes. And to be able to have that perspective in the church and especially from someone that I came in contact with when I was a very vulnerable young man in Houston it it speaks volumes to to, to to me that the Lord is exactly aware of where I was supposed to be what I was supposed to do yes my mission was hard yes I had crazy experiences but one of the reasons absolutely I got to go to a mission um with a mission president that eventually came out of the closet and that I not many people can say that. Let's be honest. Like not many people can say that. And it's not a calling card or anything, but I just know that the Lord is fully aware of, of me and of Travis and of Margaret and the things that they've experienced and her testimony of the atonement and how children just the labyrinth and how we start off in in a, in a place where we're very comfortable. And we have to, meander around all these different places so far away from the exit, but we're still, we're still progressing towards the exit or progressing towards eternal life. But there, I was trying to tell my mom about this stuff and it just wasn't clicking. And I love you mom. And I hope you listen to this, you know, but like, we just, we don't, we're not on the same page with things like this. And I don't know why the Lord, I don't, I don't want to say blessed me with, with this, um, Wisdom, I don't know. It sounds really being high on myself, but I just I see things differently. I always have. And it's how I'm gonna raise my boys, absolutely. It's it's how I'm going to instill in them that they're you you must be kind, you must follow the first and greatest commandment and the second like unto itself. Love God, love one another. Don't worry about really anything else. Honestly, like if you, if you, if you really believe in God and believe what he has done and believe what his son did, you're going to be okay. And you're going to be able to have conversations with people that you never thought you could because the world tells you this person is no good, or this person is not fit for this type of religion or lifestyle. I don't believe in any of that. I believe in I believe in sin. I believe that there are there are are ways that we can turn ourselves away from our heavenly Father, but there's nothing that we can do that would destroy His love for us. Nothing.
0: I'm struck with a couple things. I I want to circle back to. I wrote to, you said um, that President Stewart of Travis can live his truth. Um, that being gay is part of living his truth. And some people would hear that and say, well, that means. To live his truth, he has to leave his wife and be in a same-sex relationship. And I know you weren't saying that. And I just caution our listeners. Sometimes we hear that in society or on a talk show about someone living their truth. And I think you can live your truth as LGBTQ, and it doesn't necessarily mean what path is right for you. I, I think we're all pretty comfortable that have listened and have met with um, Travis and Margaret that this is their truth. And staying in this beautiful marriage—it's a beautiful love story for those of you that haven't listened to the podcast, and you have, and uh, and twenty to thirty thousand other people have. And so, I love that part, and I love, um, I love some of the mission culture. I I'm struck with, um, if I were in charge of the missionary department, which I'm not, and I'll never be, that I would want to create a culture that so someone like you, Elder Conrad, would go on their mission and and not have that anxiety. I don't think you did anything wrong. I think it's just the way you are and you're not um I call it common enemy intimacy. Sometimes if we formed a bond that we just sort of take on another group of people or we find a connection that excludes other people, that's not really common in intimacy. Um then I think we just have to do better to just create a feeling of belonging for everybody. So I would hope the missionary department, I'm not being critical of the missionary department, I would just hope that any listener out there um, that has, you know, can help our culture, or if you're wondering if you can fit on a mission, you have a testimony of the church, but you may wonder if you fit in, I'd still encourage you to go. Um, Like Dylan had the courage to go, and yeah, it led to some anxiety and some times that weren't just ideal, Um, but I think it's people like you going that help, and um, I went to my high school reunion, just a third point and i 'll get back to your story um, a few years a few months ago. It was our fortieth reunion that 's really old <laughs> um, and one of my friends has a son serving um, and he told and his son's straight and he said and he 's really sensitive to this issue and the mission president in his own conference said, "What can we do to improve our mission and his one of these missionaries you know said, "Stop the gay jokes." And the mission president got it. He said, you're right. That would not be what we should be doing as the body of Christ. And if we want to baptize more people, then sometimes we need to look inward and looking at what we're doing. And you kind of inferred that in that apartment, some of the inappropriate behavior. We've got to sometimes, we want to bring people into the gospel of Jesus Christ. And part of perfect obedience, I don't like to use that term because it's unrealistic, but I think part of obedience is how we talk and treat about other people. And we only need to look to the role of the example of the Savior. He would not say a gay joke um, as he's at the pool of Bethesda or with this woman at the well. That I mean, I'm using that kind of as, you know. Um, any thoughts on any of that before we move on?
1: I never really thought about it when I was directly on my mission. I'm sure that there were people on my mission, either other missionaries. Well, I would just say just the missionaries, the elders who— there were probably conversations about elder Conrad being a little bit different and possibly gay or just very like not fitting in. I remember the day that a beautiful sister missionary walked through the door to one of our district meetings and she was very, um, like different, like, um, little bit more like darker hair. She had like, like glittery tights on. It was like, she was like a little bit, not as like stereotypical, like sister missionary. I'm sorry to use that term, you know, cause we all have stereotypes in our head, but like it was very attracted to her. Um, and I wanted to be able to figure out a way to like, you know, hang out with her, but then you have to take a step back and you're like, nope, you know, you don't get to hang out with sister missionaries on your mission unless you're maybe like doing something with P day or like a service project. No, you don't get to do that. You don't get to be in their apartment. You don't, that's just not something you get to do. Um, so it was always going back to the apartments with missionaries, with elders and just being like, this is what we're doing again, day in, day out. there would be days where I would get, um, I I met to to get into this story a little bit and this will, this will help me kind of explain how I was able to kind of come to terms on my mission with realizing that maybe it was going to be me trying to figure out who I was in the universe as a missionary. You know, maybe it was just going to be me mean, I'm going to go in my room and I'm just going to meditate and not have my, like still have him there, obviously like in the living room or whatever, but I'm going to be by myself. Um, and I remember in one of my areas, we opened up the area book and there was a missionary. My, my companion was like, we're going to visit this lady named Catherine who she was baptized a few years ago. She's really nice. To the missionaries she's fallen away because she's kind of fallen through the cracks because not a lot of home teachers have been around. She doesn't, she's older really doesn't uh, have a lot of friends to like take her to church. Not that she had to be taken to church, but just like not a lot of fellowship. And we showed up in her house and immediately, like I remember, I remember the smell of her house. It was so warm, so inviting. I remember Catherine as the most kind, gracious, beautiful soul I've ever met. And we had talked within like five minutes, we had gotten over all of the, hi, I'm Elder Conrad. I'm a missionary. We're going to, you know, get you back to church. It was like, oh, you like Enya? Oh, I love Enya. Oh, you like movies? I we immediately shifted to nothing spirit related. However, I want to be very clear. There was not a single point in my entire conversation with her in that meeting that I didn't feel the spirit. It was flowing in the room because I went to Houston to meet Catherine. Absolutely. She was almost, she was almost in her eighties. She was, she was in her mid seventies and, um, I honestly thought she was like in her like sixties or maybe late fifties. She was just so vibrant and full of life. And, and she was just loved all the things that I loved and I felt so comfortable. And so, you know, she would, she would invite us back for, you know, to, you know, we, we could use her, her washer and dryer if we needed to for P day, she would take us to dinner. And, and I honestly believe that there are, there are stories about people where like, you know, Oh, you gotta stay away from, crazy Catherine and she's going to try to like, you know, adopt you as one of her own or like, you know, the missionary has got to be careful, but I never felt that way with Catherine. Like she was just so genuine and so warm. And, and, and my mom agrees, like when, you know, um, I would write letters to my mom and tell her about Catherine and, and how she, she had a very difficult life. Um, she, she was married and, um, she, she, had three children and she had a lapse in judgment one day where she, um, she had an affair and she, she won't mind me talking about this. We've already, we've already discussed this previously. And now that she has passed away, um, she was thrown out of the house by her husband and she had her kids, um, turned against her because her husband said, you know, if you ever talk to your mom again, you're out of the will, you're out of any kind of financial assistance, you're done. And so Catherine lived her entire life as a, as a, a lonely mother, she had three biological children that she never could ever see. And yeah, perfectly honest, I became her son. Am I ashamed of that? Is my mom even ashamed of that? Absolutely not. Um, she came to visit. She f- she flew from Houston to Salt Lake to see me at my mission homecoming. We took her around Salt Lake to the conference center. Beautiful soul. I absolutely know Where she is right now, where she will be, what experiences she will have. There is nothing that Heavenly Father will not give her. She had so much difficulty forgiving herself, even until her dying days, of what she had done. And I would tell her, Catherine, you're just a daughter of God who is amazing. And it just, for whatever reason, was never able to fully click. And so I hope now that now that she's in the spirit world and free from all of the the earthly pain because she did pass away quite quickly because of health problems and she actually passed away in the er so she was it was very sudden even though she was in her 80s did you go to the funeral i did i did i uh i talked to her sister her sister is still living she's a little bit younger than Catherine, but not by much um i talked to her on the phone and we were going my wife and i were going through a, a home moving situation and we have two little boys and I got off the phone with her after Emily told me that she passed away. And I'm like, I'm sorry, Emily, I won't be able to make the funeral. And she's like, oh, I totally know that. You know, if you've got kids, this is, I'm just so glad that we were able to communicate. And anytime you want to call, please let me know. And as soon as I hit end call, the Lord was like, go, you have to go. You only die once. I mean, it wasn't that like macabre, but it was like, you only have one funeral. You have to go. And I, I got onto Expedia and found the cheapest, literal cheapest flight I could find. We're talking like four-hour layover in Denver. I flew by myself, left my kids and wife at home. They were fine with it. We were able to make it work with my my job and everything. I had to go. And the funeral had her sister, her um, her niece, and her her great niece. And a few friends from the ward, there were like eight people in the funeral total. I got to speak at the funeral. It was at a lovely funeral home, you know, in downtown Houston. It was very different. It wasn't an LDS funeral. I didn't care. The spirit was so strong. And I just, I I was so thankful that I could be there. I was so thankful. And I will never, ever forget the time that I met Catherine, that I got to live my life with Catherine that I got to be with her as a missionary, that I got to be with her when I came back to Houston a year later. I got to be with her when I came back with my wife another year later. And then going to her funeral, it was just kind of a full circle thing that I had to absolutely have. And I know that she's still here and that she's aware of what's going on with me and that she's proud of me. And she really is just another, she's an adopted mother and my my mom has no qualms with that whatsoever. She, She knows Catherine, she met her, she knows that it's genuine and that it's not something creepy old lady. Like Catherine would always be like, your mom just thinks that, she, you know, I'm, I'm just some creepy old hag who's going to steal you away or whatever. And it was, it was, they were all jokes because Catherine is absolutely amazing.
0: That's a great story, Dylan. I have two couple scriptures come to mind in as much. You've done it unto least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And, um, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And, um, you know, I my impression is only, and you know this, is only you could have done for Catherine what you did for Catherine. No other missionary could have done that. No other mission could have talked to Enion, <laughs> That's the name of the group and made that initial connection. Our mission president used to teach us to talk in terms of another person's interests as a way to create common ground before we then were able to talk about the gospel of jesus christ and that came really natural to you
1: yeah we got her back to the temple the spirit did not us um she was like well i've already been endowed so you're saying that i can go back and we're like oh my like what happened <laughs> yes Catherine, go back and she actually started working in the temple you know in, in the laundry temple. yeah and the houston temple is something that's so so special to me we 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 were so lucky as missionaries in Houston to, um, we got to go every single transfer, every single one. We got to go when we first got to the mission field, we got to go every time we trained and we got to go every year on Joseph Smith's birthday. So many times. And then time there was like a ceiling or anything like that, we got to go. I went to the temple in Houston, probably like 25 times on my mission. It was amazing. And it's such a special, unique, one of a kind temple. I remember when Harvey hit a few years ago, and I yeah. remember a story about Gordon B. Hinckley going to the temple grounds and being like, right, "Everything was done," and he's like, "Nope, ten feet that way." And they're like, "But like the foundation's been poured, like we're we're done." He's like, 10 feet that way." Within like a year after the temple was dedicated, you know, a hurricane hit and it went right up to where they said you know it, it would have been built, and nothing was breached. I remember watching the the news footage with Harvey and being like holy cow, the temple is flooded. Yeah. I cannot believe that. And then you think about
0: like... Talk about I want to um, there's a couple of thoughts. I want you to talk to other people that um, don't fit in. Um, and so you've been on this journey you're 30 years old, you've had 15 years of not fitting in um, for the reasons you've described and you're probably feeling more comfortable in your skin now than you've ever been and your wife, if she were here, I assume she, we could talk to her about why she loves you and the kind of father you are to her kids. And you could talk to your wife about why you love her. And I'm, and that would be another podcast. But I just, I just think there's so many people out there that don't feel like they fit in. Talk to them, and what advice would you give them?
1: That's a really, really good question, and something that I'm, I'm being fully honest that I. It's a work in progress every day to feel more comfortable with who you are and who you're in a way always going to be. There are certain things you can change about yourself. Like, um, I, I gained like 40 something pounds in Houston as a missionary and I would send pictures to my family and my mom would be like, yeah. Yeah. And kolaches and everything fried and members dinners always involving dessert. Like you don't always always, you guys don't always have dessert. Why do we have to have it every time we come over here? But, um, it was obviously very welcome. But, um, I was sending pictures home and my sister would be like, you know, Dylan's kind of fat mom. And <laughs> mom would be like, no, he's just really healthy. He's just, he's a growing boy. No, he's fat. And I remember, um, we were over at a less active guy's house we would always play video games. We were over at his house. He didn't really listen to anything we said, but I was looking at his bookshelf one day and there were these books that said, eat this, not that. And I opened it up and I was like, what, this is so easy. Like I can eat this and not that. And it was by this editor in chief of men's health magazine. And I remember the next time I went over to a mission interview, mission president interview with president Hanson, he was like, elder Conrad, what are you doing? You look completely different. And I'm like, um. To be honest, I'm not just reading the Gospel Library. I'm also reading these books called "Eat This, Not That." And he's like, "Keep doing it. Like whatever you're doing, obviously, make sure you have your, uh, you know, your your personal study, your scripture study. But like, you have totally changed. And 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 I would get like compliments on P-day or whatever from different missionaries because I would, you know, be doing more push-ups and and more sit-ups and things and just I mean diet is like it's pretty much like 99% of of losing weight is is diet and exercise is a great thing to do but you got to take care of your diet and it was just it was I was able to lose like all of that weight within a month and I would I came home and like everyone was just like how did you how did you do that well the same thing with getting married is they talk about the whole joke of like the marriage diet and how you have finally settled down with a companion who loves you for who you are and lots of home cooked meals and you can go on dates and stuff, but you don't have to like try anymore. That's not true, especially because you as a human being, as an individual, you need to be comfortable with who you are. Um, You need to love yourself. And one of the ways that you can love yourself is take care of yourself. And I remember getting right back to that 40 plus pounds that I was before I left left Houston. And I was like, I don't, I don't like myself as much, especially with what I, you know, what we'll get into probably a little bit more related to how I feel about men. Um, but I look at myself in the mirror and I'm big in the stomach and in the face and I want to be, you know, skinnier. And so I did it, I did it all over again. I, uh, I went on not diets, but I just watched my, my, my food intake. I did intermittent fasting. I exercised like a fiend. I really got really focused in, in getting healthy again. And I'm, it sounds like I'm patting myself on the back, but I'm, I'm honestly in the best shape that I've ever been in my life. I'm so happy with, with who I am with myself. And I, I it is, a, it's a, it's a physical way for me to fit in more to how I feel, I am comfortable but how I feel feel that others view me as well.
0: So I kind of divide this into two areas of just um, one are the things that you can control and one are the about your physical self and the others are things you can't control so one you control is weight Um, and you've admired lean men and you've been able to work to become a lean man Um, you've admired men with Facial hair? Um, you still don't have facial hair. Yeah, uh, no. There's there's so a we'll, little bit. I so I tried. We'll talk to the well, <laughs> talk to that second group because I I I've always felt like I've wanted to create my self worth about my relationship with Jesus Christ something, uh, or I've wanted to create my self worth with things that I can control, and things that I can't control. I've wanted to not that tie that into my self worth. And there's a lot of things we can't control um, that society values that we don't have. Um, so how did you, how are you kind of navigating that to create self-worth and just owning who you are in your own skin with the things you can't change? That's a
1: great question again, especially some because it's something that I still That's honest. am navigating um daily. Um, like you talked about how There's just certain things I can't change about myself. I can't change how much facial hair I grow. I know that like men like are just destined to like you, you will grow facial hair, you know, it'll, it'll happen. But how, you know, thick and full it is, how patchy it is. You have no control over that really. And there's just people that I look at men that I look at where I'm just like, that is not fair. Like I, I'm so jealous of that look. Um, Does
0: your wife care?
1: She doesn't, she doesn't mostly because, um, the, the men that I'm attracted to as far as like being, wanting that body for myself, that's not really what she's into. I think, I mean, who doesn't love, you know, Ryan Reynolds, you know, he's a really charismatic, good looking guy. That's, I think that's like her, her dream guy, as far as like celebrity, where obviously it's not something that she'd like pursue, but like just like a crush, you know? Um, why did she marry you? That's a really good question. Um, My wife had been previously involved in some relationships that just were not positive at all. And I've always been one who prides myself in treating women with respect, absolutely. Um, Making sure that they feel important, not only because that's something that's expected of men, but women are absolutely important. They're essential. And I believe fully in um, bringing... Men and women up equally in everything, just making sure that we all are kind and we fit um and it, it, the actual story really is I was actually working as a, a a bank teller, and she had a loan through us and I can tell this story on the air. I told it to many people um and i' I'll, I'll be a little bit quicker with it but she had a loan through us and when i walked when she walked in to make her payment she obviously could have made her payment at a pre, at a, a closer branch but she on the actual payments form was like the main office which i was working at and it said on her um account information that she was 30 years old and this was like 6 you know 7 years ago and we're 30 now and the next time she came in i didn't say anything to her in november when she came in in 2012 because i was just so nervous cuz she was beautiful and i was like oh and i had just like literally the the night before prayed to god and said hey i'm taking a break i'm sick of spending money on first dates i'm not i'm into like the 1000 plus dollars Like i'm done like nothing's materialized out of this i'm taking a break and god's like you're going to meet brie like tomorrow so surprise and she came into the branch and the next time she came in to make her payment i was like hey you probably get this all the time, but you don't look like you're 30 at all. You look so much younger. And she's like, that's cause I'm not 30. And I was like, Oh, well we have your age in the system. And she's like, I'm, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Um, and I had told the story before and I even, I even told it like to members of the credit union that I worked at, I got her phone number from her account information and we always joke that like it could have like, if she thought I was a total creeper, it could have like gone, you know, the prison route, you know, the jail route, or it could have gone to marriage. And luckily Heavenly Father made Brie for me and I, for her. And we got married in the temple in 2013 and we just clicked immediately. And I think she had just gotten over a really abusive, emotional, probably physical relationship and just never even going to entertain the thought of any of that ever entering my my marriage ever like it's just not even something that I would even discuss because she is everything to me she is very different than i am there's no there's no reason why she would be um, nervous about me sharing this because we're we we are perfect complements of each other we're very different she's very a, a lot quieter I'm very loud and extroverted, and willing to share what I want to share. She's not. Um, And for whatever reason, we are able to communicate and grow in our family and our love and teach our boys and raise them and be on the same page with things, but just be very different at the same time. And I think that's what she loves about me is I live my truth. And it's not always the most like (sighs) <sighs> we're listening to pop music again in the car, Dylan. I I cannot listen to Lady Gaga again. I'm so tired of it. Let's listen to like Incubus or something, or like she loves Muse. It's her favorite band of all time. And I, I think Muse is great. We've been to a few of their concerts. They're awesome. But I always go back to what I love. And it's one of those things that you got to learn with like marriage is like compromise. But when I'm in my car, I want to listen to my music and she gets tired of it. But she just loves me because I'm just... I'm just honest with myself. I don't hide anything. We don't hide anything from each other. Um, There are definitely things on this podcast that I will not talk about that I've talked about with my wife. Absolutely. And I, and I, I respect that. And I know that you respect that as well. Um, we are, we are perfectly made for each other. And I thank God does every wanna, day.
0: Does she want to change anything about you physically that are things that you can't change.
1: She wants me to gain weight. (laughs) Um, But she has, she just because she's joked that like I'm too bony now. And um, she just liked me when I a little bit more like
0: she'd have more facial hair, be taller. She
1: doesn't, she doesn't care.
0: I didn't think so. That's why I asked (laughs) it. I guess I, I use that as a, I love this love story with you and Bree. And I, in, if she were on the podcast, you'd be holding hands right now, and it's just just a beautiful love story, and I love the differences. I think sometimes kids that have parents that have differences get the best of both parents, and that chemistry and that dynamic is often very helpful, but I love, I sort of go down this road of why am I uncomfortable with parts of my body? So right now, we, we went, before we went live, I kind of opened up. I'm 58. I've gained like 40 pounds, and so I go to church, and I actually notice the men that look better in their suits than I do because I have to wear a bigger suit and button it because it kind of hides my middle. And I know who the lean men are in my ward my age, and I'm aware of that, and that creates a little shame for me. And I'm thinking, seriously, at 58, my wife doesn't care. Who cares that you, um, yeah, I should be leaner, and I rec- and I, then I recognize I have this really low hairline for 58. Yeah, my hair is gray, but my hairline is... Like really low, and I think a lot of fifty-year-old men look at my hairline and would love to have hair. And I, yep. I don't even care. Yeah, I, I, I mean, and so I think I share that. Just kind of like you are being a little vulnerable. It's not a big deal. It's not a major thing. But I, my wife doesn't care. And so I think one of the things that, when we feel like we don't measure up to some standard, I think we have to go one step further and go, who does that really affect? And well, the persons the people that really love us care. Well, your kids care. I mean, your kids right now, obviously, you probably don't even know you don't know, about your facial hair. Well, they—I've never looked at my dad's physical characteristics. He's 88 now, and and thought that's linking to him being a good dad because of his physical characteristics. So I think it's sometimes good to go one or two steps further as we start to maybe feel shame for who we are and wonder for the people that we really want to have in our lives and the people we're going to influence doesn't matter. And so that's kind of my advice to listeners. That, um, And I would guess if we could do an honest poll, 90% of us feel that way at times. We look at parts of our body, especially the things we can't control. I can't control my hairline. Um, I can't control my waistline. But no matter which it is, I think we just have to be more at peace and just look at... um, Making steady progress. Um, we're kind of coming to the end. I want to make sure if there's other, th- and I want to I want to make sure you share other thoughts. I just want to have one closing thought on the stewards podcast. Um, I have never, ex- if any of you haven't listened to that, it's one seventy seven. I encourage you to. You're right, um, Dylan. It's two and a half hours. But as I sat, you know, President Steward sat right there, and Margaret right next to you. There's an empty chair. No chair for you. <laughs> Um, And I was on sacred ground. I I was so honored to do that podcast, but I was on sacred ground meeting with two of Heavenly Father's finest sons. And now I'm going to go on a little bit. Another thought came to my mind. When I asked you if you cared if your sons had a gay mission present, do you know how fast you answered that? Pretty dang fast. No. You said no, and that's because you don't have any homophobia Um, is the word I wrote down. And so you see a committed member of the Latter-day Saint that's straight or gay, and you don't look at that person and think they could be a less effective mission president. I recognize that we're not that to that point in our culture. We don't have a lot of openly gay mission presidents serving. I don't think there's ever been one, (laughs) or gay bishops or gay stick presidents. There's probably some closeted ones serving, but I think it's part of maturing is— Men and women that are LGBTq come out stay in the church and they're put to work and they feel like they belong and their contributions and and they're not stunted in their ability to serve within the church because they're lgbtq and right now they probably are to some extent from a practical way um, yeah
1: i I had a question about that something that um, I would be more than happy to be taken to task to um, with my my question but i've always I've always wondered about the the term Homophobia and and like transphobia, and like how I look at you know different uh phobias in in life like arachnophobia or agoraphobia or acrophobia, whatever, and I feel like the people that actively hate and you know either commit crimes or bully or combinations of the two have we, have we just decided to settle on that word as like, that's what it is? Because if we're, if we're being honest with ourselves, it I feel be. like, if we're, yeah, go ahead. I feel like homophobia would be a fear of almost like the unknown. Like when people are scared of like spiders, they don't, they don't normally like interact with spiders, but people that like are involved with like scientists who like study them, they know what spiders are capable of, what they, how they move, how they, how they, Interact with different things, you know, when they're dangerous, when they're not. People people have arachnophobia are terrified of spiders. Get away from me. I think people that are hateful, I don't think should be labeled as homophobic. They should be labeled as well, hateful. they should be labeled as terrible. But um but we should all love everyone. <laughs> but um I feel like there are people in this day and age still in 2019 that are scared of the unknown. A lot of people focus on sex and sexual orientation and who sleeps with who those, those people I believe really are homophobic because they don't understand. They don't, they don't think they don't understand that people contain multitudes. There are so many things about people like me. I love what I love and I'm never, ever, ever going to give it up no matter what. And maybe some people are a little bit like Dylan phobic where it's like, Dylan's a little bit too much for me. Like he's just, there's so many things about him that I'm just not quite understanding. Um, but no, I, um, I don't know when it happened, but I, I just, I, I realized that we are all children of God. I think it happened on my mission, but it definitely happened more after because I was more comfortable with not having those anxiety about a mission, I was able to really get introspective and think, what do I believe? And one of the main things that I believe is that we are all children of God. And when I listened to Travis and Margaret's podcast and they had talked about how one of the temple recommend interview questions literally should be like, do you love your neighbor as yourself? Do you love God? These are the types of things that people almost overlook. It means everything. It means everything and, and getting like in almost like a, a, a political way where we're talking about like gender equality and and um oppression and and things like that. I'm a man and I'm a straight white male and I still can feel days where I I don't have everything figured out. I don't have the power that people are spouting on the news about the patriarchy and, and being oppressed. Like I, I I literally should be able... I feel like I, I should be able to communicate with you and communicate to your listeners about being vulnerable and having struggles. and And I feel like we just... We have to come to an understanding of being kind and loving and children of God and not worrying about... What the world tries, I guess... Sometimes the world like sends mixed messages of like, we're supposed to love everyone, but everyone hates us. Everyone hates you. You know, it's like focus on the love, focus on how we can build each other up. Don't focus. Don't all of these articles about homophobia or or racism or, or everything related to like Republicans against Democrats or, anything the case may be, and I'm not involved in in politics as much as I maybe should be, or or how I can contribute to this conversation. But I just know that like, we have to be more kind. We have to be more like Jesus. We have to follow those commandments that are never, ever, ever going to go away, especially when we get to the spirit world. And we have our, I believe that we are going to have some kind of a conversation, like a one-on-one, if you will, a PPI or whatever it's called. where he asks us certain things and it's not going to be about, well, how many times did you visit, you know, your ministering families or how many times did you go to the temple? Dylan, did you love my children? Did you honestly do what I have asked you to do? And I feel like today more than any time in my life, I can look at my heavenly father in Jesus Christ and say, I try really hard and i and i accomplish that each day because that is my that's my source of comfort is is following the savior and he doesn't make gay jokes and he doesn't have those preconceived notions of well if they're gay everything about them is just on the surface of of who they sleep with you know with straight people like they, they can be in the sports and and drive cool you know cool cars and all but gay people just, that, that's all it is. There's nothing else. And Margaret was very clear about how she is fully aware that she is married to a gay man and they have a, a beautiful relationship and she gets questions from people who mean well, I'm sure, who have questions, who maybe that is that is what homophobia is is like, well like maybe uh can you like tell me like what you're thinking? Like what? I don't know anything about this stuff. I'm like, my, 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 my mom is like kind of in that, that spectrum of like, stop talking about that, Dylan. Like, I don't know if she's going to listen to this podcast. I I don't think she's going to listen to Travis and Margaret's to be honest. I don't know. I hope she will. I've asked her to, I've prayed about it, you know, to be able to have her do it, but I don't know. And you know what? That's okay. That's, that's not at the end of the day, this is who I am. Um, I'm so, so grateful that I could be on this podcast and that I, um, was able to get, you know, be able to communicate with you after listening to Travis's podcast. I mean, like the spirit was just like, yeah, I think, I think he could do this. I mean, he would, he could, he could definitely say no. And I, I emailed you and within like an hour, I got a response. I remember we were joking. It came in my spam folder, so I may not have even seen it, but luckily I checked and I did. And you were you were very open to, the, to the, the prospect of it, and it was just so refreshing because I felt like, okay, if we make it to November 7th and I'm sitting here across the table with Richard Osler, wow, this is what Heavenly Father wants for me. This is what he wants me to share, and I'm game, and I, I, I'm so happy that I got to do this. Thank you so much.
0: Um, before I close, tell me the name of the woman in Houston. Again. Her name
1: is Catherine... Catherine, Catherine Ruhlman.
0: So I'm just, this has been a great podcast. There's a few different things to close on. One is I love you being honest with who you are and keep being who you are. This is who God created, and and no one could have reached Catherine but you, Elder Conrad. And I, you know, I just, I was so touched by that story because that is our doctrine is to rescue people. We talk about the rescue. And what you did with Catherine, it it isn't complicated. What you did, anybody can do. You just loved Catherine. You didn't become a theologian. (laughs) You didn't. You just loved her, man. And in a really tough life, you just recognized how hard a road is and you just loved her. And you didn't just love her when you were the missionary in that area. You loved her.
1: I called her all the time. In fact, there's a a funny joke that we have where I got a call from my mission president one time after I communicated a few things. I'm very open. You know, when I have interviews with my mission president, I remember being pretty open and being like, I just don't like the way that missionaries are, are talking in the apartment. I don't like the way their attitudes are. It's disgusting. I'm just sick of it. And I have one missionary in the apartment who's like, you know, buying you know, no, nope, I'm not gonna talk about this, but, um, I just, we, we got to figure it out. And I got a call from my mission president a few days later who was like, elder Connor, I just have a question. Um, the missionaries say that you have been using the mission cell phone to call a girl like every night. Like, what is that? Like, is this true? And I'm like, yep, she's 75 years old. Her name's Catherine rule mentioned from the white Oak ward. And president Hanson's like, call her anytime <laughs> because I think at that moment, I think maybe some of the missionaries had caught on that. I was being maybe a little bit of a snitch when it came to stuff in the apartment that I was not okay with. You. And they were like, well, Dylan talked to this chick for like an hour and using our cell phone. And we don't even know what he's doing in his room. Like, I don't know. Like, and it was, I, I talked to Catherine all the time.
0: And so, and I love maybe, um, I just love you said, well, my responsibility of what Catherine's not done once I left that ward. And once I left Houston. And to me, that just is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's who you are. And I sense that only you could do for Catherine what you did for Catherine. And you brought her incredible joy. And you went to her funeral. And you spoke at her funeral. And so I I kind of come back to that story, listeners, because we can all do what other Conrad did for Catherine. We don't have to do it for thousands. It's not like you've got to go save a nation or save the world. It's just one by one. If you, own, I mean, isn't there a scripture that says, if you brought one into the kingdom, how great so be your joy? And and maybe the goal isn't always to bring somebody into the church. I think you just love Catherine because she needed to be loved. Um, yeah, that's and it helped her be in the church. It helped her go back to the temple, and I love all that. But I think you just love Catherine, and I love that story. And I love you just owning who you are. And um, if you weren't who you are, you couldn't have found Catherine and reached Catherine. And no other missionary in that mission could have done what you did. And so for those of you that don't feel like you fit in or don't feel like you have grandiose ways to help people or don't like how you look in the mirror, I just say, try to leave that. Just say, God's, you know, our doctrine is you are created as a loving child of, of a heavenly father and a heavenly mother and by that you're worthy of love and you're worthy to feel their love and you should look in the mirror and say that's my divine origin and this mortal body is part of my plan and yeah it's not like the cover of GQ or whatever standard you've put up for yourself but be at peace with that still make progress still um, focus on a few things you can control but everything you can't control about you just leave it at the Savior's feet and then Like Dylan, you find a companion that loves you for who you are. Um, She doesn't care about any of these things that Dylan was worried about. And I think you're going to be a great father to your sons. And this, I think if we had you in the podcast when you're my age and you've raised these two (laughs) sons and maybe other sons and had your wife with you, your sons would talk about, you know, how you were always the perfect father, but were the right father for them and could reach them in ways that no other father could and, your wife is going to sit back at times and recognize you're connecting with your sons in a way that she can, and you're going to recognize at some times she's going to connect with your sons in in a way that you can't. You come together in your differences to help raise kids. So, um, thanks for being on the podcast.
1: It was um, a pleasure. I'm so thankful that I was able to do it. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for our contributions to the church, and um, you make um, the church and our society a better place. So. Thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. This is Richard Osler and my guest, Dylan Conrad. And I'd like to shout out to our producer, Tom Garbett, for putting these up on the internet where you all find them. Thanks. Bye.